Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 277. And I think the first step to success and happiness is knowing what you're, you're good at and owning it and, and uh, being okay to, uh, to, to protect that lane and, and, and outperform anybody. Are you ready for It Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Oberholzer. Eric, are you, are you feeling unstoppable today? I feel like a train. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear. So Eric Oberholzer is a graduate of Johnson & Wales University and has worked in some of the best restaurants around the world. Today, he's a social entrepreneur and co-founder of Tender Greens. Founded in 2006, Tender Greens is a fine, casual restaurant that serves healthy, high-quality food at affordable prices affordable prices, or in other words, slow food done right. Uh, and this is obviously just a huge aerial view of who you are, the things you've done to really make an impact in our industry. Uh, I can't wait to learn more. But before we do, Eric, let's just get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? I start with the why. Mm-hmm. I had a young on- on- entrepreneur this morning reach out to me and um, and I always respond with, why does the world need your product or service? Why now? And why you? Why are you the one best to execute? Why is why so important, Eric? Because it, it affords context. It's, a, it's the backstory. Why am I wasting my time on this? Why does anybody care? Um, you know, whether you're sending out an Instagram or you're launching a product or an initiative, it, it has to be grounded in the why. Mm. Otherwise, it, people won't people won't respond. Is it a why for you or a why for others? I think it's both. You, you have to ask yourself why first, so that you're motivated, right? Check check your own boxes, and then you go out with a belief system that uh, you've answered that this matters, and now I'm going to explain it to the world. Mm. I love it. There's so much value there, and I'm sure you must be a fan of Simon Sinek if you're recommending that book uh, to learn more. I mean, that's that's a must read for anybody looking to get started in this industry. People are going to invest in what they're going to invest in what you're doing. They're investing in why you're doing it and how that that makes them feel to being associated with what you're doing. And and 
your passion, which you talk a lot about, like when I watched your TEDx, like you didn't know what you were going to be doing. Uh, you, you found your passion later in life and it's that passion, that why that's going to drive you and enable you to show up every day to, to give it your all. Uh, awesome way to get this interview started, Eric. I love it. Um, you know, every once in a while, Eric, I interview people and I'm doing my research and I'm like trying to find good topping points. And then I stumble across somebody like you who's got the, the TEDx out there. Um, you're, you're just doing so many amazing things. I watched your videos, your, your brand, uh, your purpose, your why with Tender Green is so amazing. I don't know where we're going to end up today, but I know whatever we end up talking about is going to be awesome. Um, but just real quick, let's just give the listeners an idea of who we're talking to. So uh, how did you get into the industry and kind of real quick, just give me a, a, like a snapshot journey of how you got to where you are today. Uh, I've always been passionate about food, didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated from college, decided to go to culinary school and went through France and New England. Most of my cooking as a chef in the San Francisco Bay Area with some of the best uh, chefs and restaurants uh, there are. It was part of the first slow food or local movement. And, you know, what what drove me to Tender Greens was um, the, the idea of democratizing uh, slow food or good food so that it wasn't just for the, the 1%, but it was for everyone. And to that end, we could begin to change the way America eats and address some of these uh, systemic problems with, uh, you know, type 2 diabetes, uh, heart d- disease, cancer, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious, uh, how did... Uh, I mean, you, I'm, you have an incredible story leading up to Tender Greens, but there's just so much going right with Tender Greens. I really want to focus today's discussion around the formation of this restaurant. Uh, uh, 24 locations now, if I counted correctly. Am I wrong? Uh, we have 23 with Berkeley about to open, okay. which will make 24. And you opened 2006, so, so going on 10 years now. Uh, how did this come together? I mean, it's, I'm sure you didn't just hit a switch and it was. So take us through that journey of this this vision coming to fruition. Uh, I, I landed in Los Angeles as the executive chef of Shutters on the Beach and found that that was going to be my last stop in the luxury space and started to imagine um, what, what the world needed. And... You know, I looked to my past uh, and the slow food luxury uh, space that I had been in uh, for many, many years, and then this scalable, brandable fast food culture of Southern California. And Tender Greens is really an answer to the middle. How could we draw from uh, luxury and fine dining and organics um, and apply some of the efficiencies that we have in in, uh, in fast food and, and make it affordable to more people on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, it, it, that's that's essentially what we ended up with. And now we call it, you know, fine casual. So let's put a date to this. Um, you opened in 2006. So when did this form? Like when did I mean, it sounds like this dream, this vision, probably something that started to slowly form over time as you evolved as a professional. But when did you really start like sitting down and committing to building out this vision? Uh, we started about 13 years ago and uh, it took us about three years to raise the capital okay. and find a location. So 
you know, over those years, we had plenty of time to think and refine the business model okay. before we finally opened. So you're 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 not alone with this project. We should probably mention Matt Lyman and David Dressler, who are your co-founders. Uh, the three of you together uh, in around 2003 is when you started, you know, talking. How did the idea where you guys sing over a glass of beer? Like, how when did the the first mention of you three coming together? Uh, you know, wh- when did that happen? Uh, that was probably in, you know, yeah, 2003, okay. uh, Matt and I were already starting to talk about some concepts. We, 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 you know, as the two chefs, we were thinking about a fish concept. We, um, dabbled in a, an organic, uh, uh, water ice concept and all of those became very complex. Uh, and there, there came a point at which I sat down and wrote a menu uh, that is very much what the Tender Greens menu is today with a two-page overview, showed it to Matt and said, look, I'm, I'm going to do something simple and scalable. Mm. Um, so we took that. He, he said, I'm, I'm in. Uh, we took that up to Scarborough Farms, pitched it to them, said we, we designed the concept around what you grow. They said they're in. And then we needed – um, a third partner who had a little bit more of a an administrative mind, and uh, and David uh, said, you know, look, I'm in also, and the three of us set out to uh, to make this happen, and it's the power of partnership mm. and the and, and then uh, the power of team that has really made us uh, so successful. So how clear were you early on i agree the power of partnership can be huge uh so impactful uh but often i feel like some people get involved in these partnerships and they don't have a their visions aren't aligned and it sounds like you guys were very clear about what you wanted to create early on so is it safe to say that that was crystal clear very early on take us through that that process of making sure everybody's pulling in the same direction. And you're all trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. So we worked together already at shutters on the beach. Okay. So we had a good working relationship prior to that. We were not, we didn't know each other. We weren't friends uh, prior to that. And business was always first mm-hmm. and friendship second, but we liked each other. Um, we're the same age, uh, same professional pedigree and, uh, you know, same um, vision for the world. So we, we've we always been very, very aligned. But most importantly, uh, we, we respected and acknowledged each other's strengths and weaknesses. And there weren't very many redundancies. So there was, there, there was, uh, we were aligned. Um, but we weren't, uh, we weren't redundant in skill set. So you know, we have this saying now that I am the what if of tender greens, imagining the future and what could be. David is the what is, and you know, he's very um, uh, pragmatic. Okay. And then Matt is the how to. Mm. So he's he's the guy who says, okay, we've uh, we've we found the middle between what if and what uh, what is. So I'll I'll go out and uh, systematize it. And like that, um, we, we almost play like a, you know, a rock band and we play our, our, our instruments, we play them well, we support each other, we know when uh, one needs to, you know, to play a solo and we'll back him up and, and vice versa. And we've always been able to keep our egos in check and, and, and there's a power in three, I think. 
if it had just been two of us, um, I don't think we would have been as successful. But three, uh, there's always a tiebreaker, which which uh, which takes some of the pressure out of out of uh, tension. Uh, and there's there's never a standoff. I'm just going to summarize some of the, the big things that have really just grasped my attention up to this point. Uh, first, uh, I love what you said. Uh, what did the world need is what you asked yourself, uh, not just on a, like on the surface, but it seems like it was a real like, how can I make a difference in the world? What is what's the world missing right now that will make it better? Uh, and that's kind of where this this uh, vision came from. And I couldn't help but think of the words of Gandhi, which were, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And it sounds like that's kind of the approach you took with creating this vision for yourself and for your partners. Uh, Also, the other thing that really I I just loved was uh, knowing your lane, (laughs) like you know, your lane uh, and you knew what other lanes needed to be in order to tackle this massive project. And you surrounded yourself with those partners uh, with a clear vision of what you're trying to do. And you all stay in your lane and do what you do best, uh, which is huge. Do you want to speak to why it's so important to just know yourself and know where you belong and just to stay in your lane? Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, it's part self-awareness, part ego management, and, and just uh, part uh, the spirit of collaboration. And nobody is g- good at everything. And I think the first step to success and happiness is knowing what you're, you're good at and owning it and, and uh, being okay to, uh, to, to protect that lane and, and, and outperform anybody. And then let it, letting everybody else uh, do what they're good at. And as we've expanded and as we've grown from the three of us to 1,200 employees, um, that has been one of the most important exercises. As we step out and really become hyper-specialized you know, hyper specialized and do for the company what we're best at mm-hmm. and let everybody else do what they're hired to do and you know, just focus on making it really easy for them to all do great. Mm, I love it. And I think we'll dive a little bit more into now your, your roles, uh, just watching one of the videos on your website of just making sure like the servant leadership uh, style that you guys clearly have, which is great. But I want to kind of dive into the, that three years from 2003 to 2006. What was your life like? What were the things that happened and in what order did they happen in to get to the point where you're opening your first location? Well, you know, it's, uh, first it's, it's saying, you know what, I'm, you know, we're, we're old enough to have learned some things and we're young enough to work really, really hard sacrifice. And if we fail, it's not the end of the world. And so how, we can, how old were you in 2003? Uh, we were, well, 2003, we were, uh, uh 34. Okay. Cool. And, uh, you know, we, we, had, we knew enough. Um, we had a good enough reputation that we could leverage to uh, raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, had, had we belly flopped, we would have we recovered. Yeah. Um, we didn't have kids at the time. And, and, uh, and like that, yeah, I, I think there's a, the timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And for us, uh, the, the time was, was right. So um, I agree. Timing is huge. Uh, but also, uh, just take us through the uh, the process of how you decided what was the right amount of money 
and uh, the process of approaching people for money. Uh, like, what are the key things we need to know? And how much, what, if you don't mind me asking, how much did you have to come up with uh, that initial push to, to get the doors open? We ended up raising about $900,000. Oh, wow. in um, back then, we were very naive. We thought that'd be enough to open three stores. <laughs> it was enough to open one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so all of, you know, I... I think what we benefited from was that we were we were able to um, take our time, uh, really earn the capital. We went to friends and family and colleagues. Uh, once we exhausted that, then we dipped deeper into networks and got in front of more sophisticated investors. Um, and with each meeting, with each pitch, uh, there was – there was feedback, there were critiques, and we were able to refine our business plan um, while always um, sticking to what we felt was important and what we believed in. So you have to be open to criticism and feedback while standing your ground on those things that matter most. So, Because everybody has an opinion. So it sounds like the business plan evolved over that three years. And it also sounds like you started with those who were closest to you. You got some money. So you had something on the table. And then as you got a little bit more, a little bit more, you could approach those other investors with something saying, Hey, we got something. We're not looking for everything. Just, we just need a little bit more to get us over the edge. Is that kind of the approach you took? Yeah. You know, you get a little bit of money in the bank and interest, which uh, helps with traction. Um, we had no money of our own. Uh, so that was always a question, too. They, they would often say, well, you don't have any skin in the game, and we, we don't have any skin to put in the game. <laughs> <laughs> so how did – if you can reflect back in that three-year period, how did um, the business plan and the vision evolve, and how did you fine-tune that pitch over that time? So the concept uh, never really changed. Uh, so that that's where we, we were we – were, really convinced that we had a concept that the world needed mm-hmm. um, and we leveraged our years of experience in the restaurant business for that. Mm-hmm. So we were the experts on that level where it really evolved was around the finances and some of the, um, the matters related to scaling a concept, a lot of legal. Uh, so the things that we were not masters of, we, we were novices. Uh, we were very open to advice and guidance um, and, and I think that's important. Where were you getting that advice and guidance? Um, in some cases, it was, you know, these uh, these pitches were, you know, people with money, what we would consider sophisticated money, um, might poke holes in, in, in our business plan and uh, at least give us some direction. And we we'd make adjustments and go back to them. In other cases, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of learning on the job, but surrounding yourself with uh, the smartest people you can. Awesome. I love that. And it it really reminds me of a past guest, Brandon uh, Kroskowski. I think I said his name right. uh, Where he, when he first had his vision for what he was trying to create, he didn't, like you said, he didn't, uh, have the the pitch down perfect. The vision was there, but over time, as he approached new investors, uh, he fine tuned. He he listened to you know he would pitch, get the constructive criticism, re you know uh, you know 
fine tune things, build, add on, add on until finally he had the complete business plan. But it took time, just like it, it sounded like it took time with you guys. Over you just slowly started to improve the, the business plan in uh, all the little the the details you might have overlooked early on. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, and that never stops. Mm-hmm. You know what I would say to any any entrepreneur at any stage, whether you're starting or whether you're where we are, or even beyond. Um, you never stop learning. You never stop listening. Listening, and you're never too smart mm-hmm. or too big or too successful um, to to be you know wrong. And you know, I I I think the the confidence to stand your ground. While at the same time, uh, the, the, the self-awareness around where you might not have all the, the muscles you need uh, is, is really important as you navigate business. Awesome. And uh, I think one just big lesson to take away up to this point is just start. Uh, if you have a vision, if you have a team, you have the partners, just start. And it doesn't have to be perfect out of the gates, but just start and constantly be improving, constantly take it to the next level. And over time, you'll get to where you need to be. And let's fast forward now. 2006, uh, you you have your finances. You're opening the first location. Let's talk about what that experience was like as a first-time restaurant owner. Well, we were way busier than we ever thought we would be. <laughs> Good problems. Um, and yeah, we we literally had to close at uh, at seven o'clock the first night uh, because we were out of food and there was wow. still a line out the door. Good problem to have day one. That line never uh, stopped. Uh, the restaurant was far too small for for the volume we were doing. And you know, you do the best you can. We we didn't have enough equipment. We were um, we were understaffed. We we didn't have a POS system because we wanted to personalize every every you know every individual person every uh, transaction we wanted to own all the way through the experience. Um, you know we were making dressing to order, shaving cheese to order, cutting lettuce to order, uh, really trying to get back to uh, the purity of our fine dining roots, but the, the volume uh, had a different, uh, a, a different course for us. So it was, it was very tough in the, in the, in the beginning. So um, these are good pains to have. Like I like to say, uh, having too many people so that you can handle with the space you're given and the equipment you're given. So how did you evolve over time to uh, be able to handle the volume with what you had? Where did you put your focus? Like what was the first thing that you did after recognizing these problems of not having the right space and not having the right equipment? Uh, it, probably the biggest ad was the POS system. Okay. And, uh, you know, rather than go from memory, uh, we, we, we leveraged um, the POS system. Um, then we started to, um, I, I mean, truthfully, we were in survival mode mm-hmm. for at least a year or two. Um, there was no place that we could build. So our office upstairs became, you know, a storage facility for all the extra product. We had to bring in uh, new ovens and refrigerators that were not, um, not under code. Uh, so there were a lot of things that we had to mom and pop in the, in the early days. 
just to to service the, the volume of the restaurant. Okay. And show me or explain to me the evolution. How did it go to or from survival mode to kick-ass mode? Like, where, like what were the things that started to happen uh, after the POS system that really allowed you to uh, gain traction to uh, – like what things needed to be in place for you to go from that one location that was in survival mode to 24 locations, but don't just jump straight to 24 locations. I want to know what happened at like two, three, four locations. So I I think the first thing was as we stabilized, um, you know, we had all, all three of us had read the E-Myth, which is one of the, the greatest books there is for any entrepreneur. It takes a few hours to read, but what it does is underscores how important it is to run the business versus work in the business. Mm-hmm. And in, the, in those early days, we were just, we found ourselves and very aware of it, uh, working in the business. Mm. And once we stabilized, once we had the BOS system and, and another oven and uh, the staff was trained, um, all three of us had a plan to start backing out of some of the positions we were handling so that others could do it, mm-hmm. and then we could begin to clear our heads and run run the business. So David backed out from you know he was chief uh, cashier for a long time, and then okay. he um, he he backed out of that and started running the you know essentially uh, you know our version of the the office. Uh, so he was doing the accounting and a lot of the HR legal et cetera. Uh, Matt began really working on um, construction, design, and uh, facilities uh, while supporting me on the food side. And then I really focused on uh, the food, uh, team development, um, and, and marketing. And, and like that, our individual roles uh, began to evolve with me focused mostly on the food and the chefs and the teams um, and, and operations, Matt on real estate and development and systems, and then David on developing the, the home office team. And until recently, uh, those were our focuses. And then when we did the, uh, uh, the deal with Danny Meyer last year, um, we, we evolved yet again. I, uh, I took the CEO position with a focus on the future um, and growing the business, David, um, as the the conductor so that um, the trains um, leave on time. And then Matt, uh, really as the, uh, the R&D uh, chef who is working on uh, uh, you know, tighter systems, uh, equipment, technology that are going to help us uh, well into the future. Do you think so? I can realistically say that um, it took you about a year to two years to get out of that survival mode of that reactive mode. Uh, then you you all read the E Myth, which is a must read, amazing book for anybody uh, in this industry to pick up. Uh, where you really started to start working on the business and not in the business. And is it safe to say that was like an eight year transitional moment of slowly just slowly developing other people and systems to further remove yourself from the day to day. So you can work on the next level, like eight years. I think that is a, like some people, I think they just go too big, too fast. Uh, but I feel like eight years is really kind of reasonable. I mean, how do you feel about that time that it took you to get to where you are now? 
Yeah, I, I think we we were disciplined. We took our time. We we uh, we backed out of uh, positions or or took hats off um, when we had the right people to take over, and when new people took over, they were skilled and focused and professionals at that particular area. So when we brought in, you know, Lena is the um, the, the the director of finance, and now she's a CFO. Uh, that was huge, and then she built out her finance department. When when Cynthia came in as the director of PR, um, we we didn't have a PR or uh, sorry, uh, human resources. We didn't have a human resources uh, department. It was David and I. You know, I was soft skills. David was was hard skills and compliance. And and then Cynthia came in and built out a team, and and then we brought in marketing and and uh, you know supply chain and what have you, and. And all the way through that, you know, the three of us were doing the best that we could, um, but we always brought in somebody who was much better mm. and uh, gave them the tools to do it. And then we were going through a number of our own identity uh, shifts. You know, in the beginning, we were, you know, we were chefs and then we were chef owners. And then we, at some stage, we started to identify with the, 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 the label of uh, entrepreneur. Mm. And, uh, and, and, you know, and founders, which was always a, a meaningful label. And, and now, you know, for me, it's, it's CEO and, and that's a whole other identity and a, and a set of skills and expectations that are different than a founder or an entrepreneur or a chef. Mm -hmm. So we, the three of us continue to grow and evolve and, 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 and look ahead for, mentorship while always um, reaching back to help others, uh, you know, fill our shoes. And, and that's really how we've developed our team over the years, one hand forward for help and, and one hand back uh, to help those who are going to fill our positions. Real quick, Eric, how have you evolved personally? And I feel like you were right. It's an, it's, it's never ending uh, just journey of evolving, growing personally. But what were some of the biggest evolutions? If you could just narrow it down to like one or two things for you personally that you think most contributed to the success, uh, or maybe you could even point out some of the evolutions of your partners. You know, for me, it was, uh, it was pulling myself out of the day to day of the restaurants and letting uh, the chefs and, and then the regional chefs uh, run their restaurants. And then, uh, being helpful where I could and not getting so involved in the minutia. And more recently as the CEO. How did you detach yourself from that? Like, I, I think we can dive deeper into that. How do you go from being there every day? This is my baby. Like I'm afraid to leave it alone. Like how did you wean yourself off of uh, that responsibility? I listened to my, my people and they were saying, Eric, we've got this. <laughs> and, you know, I had to come to terms with, um, you know, it, it's a separation, right? Mm. <laughs> you, you're like, wait, wait, but what now? What am I going to do? Yeah. You know, and, and you have a moment where you know you don't feel useful, and you have to, um, you know, you just have to transition into to something else that that helps to grow the the company. So the the you know the the, the lessons of the E myth are not just for startup. Mm -hmm. It continues and uh, the companies to grow and evolve um, then 
its leaders have to grow and evolve. Yeah, and one more thing, uh, just from my research of you watching some of the videos that are out there, the Tender Green videos, uh, there's this woman who was a part of your team, and uh, (laughs) she had an incident in the walk-in. And take us through uh, that situation uh, and how how maybe you would have handled that, say, if it happened 10 years prior. So that was Lacey. She was um, one of her early, early uh, employees, had no no experience outside of Quiznos. She was she was statistically, um, you know, uh, least likely to succeed. She was uh, from a tough part of Los Angeles uh, at 19, was already a single mom, mm. uh, had no connection to um, tender greens and what it what it really meant. She was just there for a job Mm -hmm. and her, uh, her first or second day uh, on the, I think it was her first day. um, She was being trained on dressings, which that alone (laughs) is not (laughs) start. But, you know, back then that, you know, we, we didn't have a a robust training program and she had just finished uh, a horseradish dressing or, uh, and, and, and was putting it into the, uh, into the walk-in and the five gallon tub of dressing that had just been made uh, fell. Mm. And all of that dressing, the oil, everything was cascading down the shelves of the Saturday inventory, which is substantial. And I had opened the door and saw this and (laughs) took a deep breath and internally with my internal voice said, she's got to go. And I walked around the neighborhood. I just had to clear my head. And when I came back, she amazingly had cleaned it up and was back back at work and she um she now is one of our most successful uh restaurant uh, general managers um she runs the business better than anybody um she knows the food as well as anybody uh she you know she her, her, she she bleeds green i mean she is just one of our best people. And, and the lesson in that was, um, you know, to, to always look for the magic and the good in people mm. and give them an opportunity to, to thrive and, and, and never write somebody off uh, because of um, what you might see on the surface or one mistake. Mm. And, you know, I've, that that video is so important to me because it 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 changed the way I approached a lot of the folks who have come through Tender Greens, and I want all of our uh, chefs and all of our leaders and and really everybody in the entire organization to know that um, there might be a superstar in 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 the mix, uh, and and it may not be apparent, uh, you know the first day yeah and give everybody a chance yeah and one thing that really uh struck me in this story when i was watching the video is one thing that you did i think was just brilliant uh in that situation you walked away uh i feel like so often uh in the leadership role the management role the ownership role uh we have an tendency to let our emotions get the best of us and in that situation if you didn't walk away like you said the first thing that popped through your head is she's gone um and you walked away 
you allowed yourself, your your uh, emotions to not get the best of you, to not be reactive, but to really think about the situation. And in that time, you cooled off. You went back to the walk-in. Situation was, was resolved. And um, there's an incredible relationship now on your with you and her uh, that would have maybe never grown uh, if you didn't just take that time to really not let your emotions get the best of you. I mean, what did you learn about controlling your emotions in the situation? Well, you know, that, um, fortunately, you know, I, I had a lot of management experience prior to, to tender greens and I meditate twice a day <laughs> have for the last 28 years. So, um, controlling my reaction is, is something I'm known for. Uh, but you know, it's, it, when you're stressed, when you're tired, when you're frustrated as a, as a you know, as a, as a leader, you're, you know, it's, it's easy to unleash. That's the easy road to freak out, have a meltdown, um, belittle somebody, you know, fire them, whatever it may be. Um, the, the harder road is to collect your thoughts, um, process it and find sort of a win-win and, and, and also empathize with that person, you know, empathize because, there was a time in my life when I probably did the same thing. It might've been a can of paint. It might've been um, something else, you know, but we all make mistakes and we're all nervous day one and, and stuff happens. So if we have that, you know, that, that empathy, that compassion uh, for, for the people working for us, then um, I think we can find that space to, give them um, a second chance or even a third chance. Mm -hmm. Amazing stuff. And um, one thing you just said uh, that really caught my attention too was um, the robust training program we have now. So how important is training and how has your training evolved from, you know, 2016 to present day? So in, in 2006, when we, when we opened the training was, uh, here's an apron, here's a shirt. Uh, you're, we're going to put you on the drink station. If you survive lunch, you're hired. If not, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out. So why, why doesn't that work? Uh, well, <laughs> for, you know, I think Lacey's a case in point. Some people take, you know, two or three weeks to settle in. Others are rock star day one and then fizzle out. Um, and, you know, you're just setting people up for failure. Mm. failure. It's, it's, it's shock treatment. Um, but for us, it was, you know, it's trial by, by fire and, and we needed people to, to get up to speed quickly in those days. Um, now we, we have, you know, orientation, we have, you know, a, a pretty structured interviewing process. We, um, we have a five day, uh, training before they're even considered, uh, for a, for a position. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is done by a certified trainer. There's a checklist. Uh, so all the boxes need to be checked. There's a test, um, not just for the, for the skills, but also culture. It's important for everybody joining the family to understand what the family values are. And it's not just a, you know, a a bunch of, uh, things on the wall, but it's, it's, what we it's our belief system it's how we operate and not everybody comes from the same 
background. So it's important that everybody understands what our values are and um, and how we make decisions and how we conduct ourselves. And um, that's more important now than than your your uh, your speed or your efficiency. It's it's attitude, and we really hire for attitude. Absolutely. And for somebody who's listening right now, who is in that position that you were in 2016, where your training program was, all right, go get them, Sally. Let's see how you do. You make it or break it at the end of the shift. How do you go from that to where you are now? I mean, if you could just give a couple pieces of advice to, obviously, you can't hit a switch and just start doing it as as well as you're doing it now. But what's the first step? Uh, to get into where you like to, to, to move in the right direction? Uh, the first step is uh, SOPs, standard operating procedures. You have to, that, that um, memorializes what the right way is mm-hmm. um, so that there's absolute clarity. And then you train around those SOPs, those standards. And those are really the non-negotiables. You know, we do it this way, period, non-negotiable. I don't care who told you to do it another way? This is, this is it. Mm-hmm. And it's written in stone. It's, um, these are the recipes. These are the procedures. This is how we do it, period. And then make sure that everybody has been trained around that. And coming back to start with why, um, they need to know why. Mm. You know, why do we grill chicken this way? Why is that and so important? Because it's, it's, it's easier to accept and understand and embrace if you know why. Mm. What, you know, they're, they're, we're not doing it because we, we feel like it. We're doing it because, you know, it makes the skin crispier, the, the, you know, the um, you know, flavor, texture, blah, blah, blah. You know, there, there could be a series of reasons. But um, what we may know because of our experience is not – as a parent to a young cook who doesn't have the experience. So it's part of their education uh, also to, to share the why it's the history. I just looked at the clock, Eric, and I realized we're getting what time it is. We we're, we got to move on. I could ask questions forever. You're just giving us incredible advice. Uh, I got to get a failure from you, Eric. Well, once a time you and your team just failed hard. Uh, and what did you learn from that failure? Um, wow. A, a, a failure with, uh, with tender greens. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that, uh, so I would say full service catering. Um, we had a lot of requests to, uh, do people's weddings and wear mitzvahs and what have you. And we, we started doing them just as a courtesy, then uh, decided, you know what, there's a business in this. And we went full on and we, we decided, okay, we can be as successful um, as a caterer as we have been a restaurant. But what we found was that with all of the, the, the added service and the equipment and the logistics and everything that goes into putting on a great event, um, we weren't able to deliver the value that we could at the restaurant. So we ended up uh, going up against Wolfgang Puck mm-hmm. and Heirloom LA and Patina Group because that's what it takes to to do a full service event. And, you know, with catering, it was, for us, it was a secondary business. It was 
which became a distraction. So the learning was, again, coming back to hold your lane, mm. do what you do really well, out execute everybody and let others do what they do well. Mm. And, um, you know, it became expensive and, and, and a distraction. We did it. We, we did a good job, but we weren't able to be able to deliver on the value, which is what would have made us more competitive. Awesome. I don't have to add or reflect or say anything to that. You said it beautifully. And we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. And we're back. Uh, the first question I have for you in this speed round, Eric, is what is an it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, I am super balanced and calm under pressure. Um, and, and I think that brings uh, a sense of calm to the organization. And what do you think is happening in your head uh, to maintain that calmness? Well, like I said, I, I meditate twice a day. I exercise regularly. So, um, you know, I have a lot of internal stability. But also I've, I've learned to, to process, uh, step back from a situation and, and really think it through mm. uh, in an effort to find uh, win-win outcomes for everybody, mm. uh, not just uh, one side. Beautiful. And real quick, I'm curious, what does that meditation process look like for you? Like, is it realistic that we can all today start meditating twice a day? And if so, what's your routine look like? Uh, so the answer is yes. I actually teach uh, transcendental meditation here uh, at the uh, at the home office quarterly for my for anybody really who wants to participate on my team, uh, and mostly because they've asked and. I've been doing it for 28 years, uh, very, very busy 28 years, uh, and have never missed a, a day of meditation, and I do it when I wake up, and then uh, usually um, between 3 and 5 in the afternoon, depending on my schedule. And how long and does I, it take that when you wake up? Like 20 minutes. Oh, wait, you just said that. So I'll edit that part out, um, or maybe not, and just make fun of myself. Uh, okay, so 20 minutes, so 40 minutes a day, uh, I mean – that's realistic. I, I feel like I should, I mean, I like to go for a run. I think that's when I like to think I'm meditating. Is that the same? Yeah. It, running any exercise where you're sort of shutting off your mind or allowing your mind to drift um, is a form of meditation. And the runner's high with the endorphins flowing and 
um, you know, if you think about a, a run, you know, in the beginning, it's just it's a struggle, right? Mm. Getting up, getting your your heart rate up. But once you hit your stride, that's when not just your body feels good, but your mind starts to wander and it opens up. And, and sometimes we can do, the, our, you know, our, 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 our best thinking and reflecting during a nice run. Beautiful. Awesome stuff. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I'm double-edged, so I think my, my great strength can also be uh, one of my weaknesses. I Because I want to find win-win outcomes for everybody because um, I think I, I lead with a spirit of empathy and thoughtfulness. Um, sometimes there have to be casualties in decision-making. Sometimes, uh, you know, there, there are winners and losers in business and, and you just have to move knowing that um, there are going to be hurt feelings or there are going to be uh, those who don't benefit from the, from the deal or the transaction and um, and I can at times drag my feet or sugarcoat something so that I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm less severe in, in the message that otherwise is not uh, not not a great one so I'm I'm, I'm the opposite of Donald Trump <laughs> <laughs> got you uh, what is one piece of advice uh, you have for leading others for leading others, yes, uh, you know, it, I think absolute uh, clarity and vision, um, an ability to make a decision and set that as the clear, you know, your 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 true north, um, and and not um, stumble or, or or you know or, or, or sort of flutter around that. Um, and then, you know, you have to lead by example. Mm. You have to be somebody with a great deal of integrity um, that people uh, admire. Uh, you don't have to be liked by, by everybody, but you do have to be uh, respected and admired. Awesome. And I'm curious, where did you uh, learn about getting this uh, clarity and vision? Like, where, did, where does that journey of education start for our listeners? Uh, you know, it... it it, it's in the journey of business. So um, when you're asked to lead, then, you know, people are going to start looking at you and saying, okay, where are we going? Mm. And you have to be very clear on where you're leading people and they have to trust that wherever th that path uh, ends up, that it's going to be a good one. Mm. Um, and, and that may just be running a, a crew that may be running a, a, a business. Um, it doesn't matter, but, the moment you start to lead um, even a, 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 you know, a, a soccer team, uh, you have to be very strong, very clear, and very determined in your vision for that organization. And, and you have to win the respect and the trust that um, that vision is going to take the group in, into, the, into the promised land. Awesome. Uh, when you are interviewing and you're hiring people, what's one question you ask or your team asks of that interviewee? I like to know what a person is most passionate about. What what gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you looking for in an answer? What's what is the the right not quote unquote right answer, but what is it that you're looking for? Uh, the answer needs to be one filled with passion. So it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be about food, doesn't have to be about hospitality, doesn't have to be about tender greens, but 
but it has to be something. Mm. You know, you need to get out of bed, wake up, look at the world and say, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm most passionate about. And that, it could be running, it could be meditating, it could be um, your kids, whatever. But passion um, and the expression of passion is a window into how people approach life. And, and that's suggestive of how they're going to approach the job and, and, and the business. Beautiful. What is a current challenge Tender Greens is work, or dealing with right now and how are you overcoming it? Uh, the, probably the biggest challenge outside of real estate will always be people development. Um, we are growing at a rapid rate and we need to grow our talent ahead of those needs. Mm -hmm. And that I think for any organization is, is the biggest challenge. And how are you growing that talent ahead of the needs? Um, you know, part of it is training and development. Part of it is, um, you know, staying ahead of the the pack, um, leading into the future, so that everybody who's part of Tender Greens is not just here for a job or career, but they feel part of a higher purpose or a mission. And that mission to really uh, democratize good food and change the way people eat in in, in America uh, is one that. Uh, you know, we're very passionate about and everybody who joins the organization is, is, is passionate about. And I just want to add something to this on how to, uh, you know, retain people, how to get that talent. Uh, first, I think it starts with keeping the talent um, and providing opportunities. But one thing I noticed from your TED Talks uh, was the impact you make with your people, uh, all of your people, but specifically your team. Uh, it's not just a job. You really, you can tell that you really look to, to touch the core of that person. You really look to impact that person and to serve them, not just as an employer, but as a mentor and to really pull out of them the, their greatest potential. Uh, and it's so obvious. And I feel like too, too often in this industry, the relationships are just too shallow. Uh, and with Tender Green, I can see that, that, that there are deep, impactful relationships there. And do you want to reflect on that at all? Yeah, well, I think you're right. And, you know, there were a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people who impacted me through my life uh, at an early stage and all the way through. And it is a privilege of success that uh, we can impact people and influence people uh, for the positive and, and paint a better future for everybody who touches the Tender Greens brand. Uh, and that was our second why, by the way, was to create a company and a culture that was reflective of our own values and um, had all of the things, the, the great attributes that um, uh, we enjoyed at plenty of the places that we worked, but folded in those things that were often missing. And, and some of that was creative freedom and a, a big enough sandbox to be creative as creative people, um, a, a growth path that, you know, afforded everybody with the opportunity to grow so that they didn't have to go somewhere else to grow, but they could grow with us and, and a sense of purpose that we are not so much a business, but we're a mission that, 
happens to have a business attached. It's the business that affords us to work on the, the greater mission, which is to change the way people eat in, in America. Beautiful. And I'm curious, uh, one of my concerns uh, with impact, I think impact so important, but when when restaurants grow uh, and they get to the size of 20, up almost 24 locations like you are now, how do you, with that much uh, lateral growth, how do you still have the same impact? How do you how do you touch people at the same level on the ground at the, at the floor level at the, at the, you know, how do I say this? How, how do you still touch the lives of everybody the way you did when you were just one or two locations? I'm uh, you know, I think if you look at the great CEOs or the great uh, leaders, um, they can't touch everybody, mm-hmm. but their energy, their, their their brand their style their presence their passion their presence mm-hmm. runs through the entire organization and those who are closest to them then represent them you know if you you know if you look at government you have you know you have you have one president but then you have a lot of other people carrying that torch and that message and that energy every day in religious groups you have the same thing and if we look at the great entrepreneurs of the world, whether it's Howard Schultz or uh, Richard Branson or, you know, um, Elon Musk, um, they, their brand of leadership, their purpose, their drive, everything that has made them great uh, runs through that organi- organization for better or worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it can also be a negative depending on how they manage. Absolutely. But um, I rely on, on, on all of the people who work for us to, to drive the mission and to embrace uh, our core values and to live them every day and explain them in their own way, not, not in a um, you know, formulaic way, but to, to make it their own and express it through their actions, through their level of hospitality, through how they engage the neighborhood and how they um, communicate through food. Awesome. What is one thing you do really well in your restaurants besides food that I think separates you from other restaurants? I think the, the, the differentiator for us is that we've got a fine dining chef with a resume not unlike mine in every one of my restaurants. There is nobody in our category that can say that, and that allows us to innovate at the restaurant level every day. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with consistency um, at that level with so many different people who are passionate, who are creators? Uh, you know, chefs are creators. They they have that artistic flair. Do, you, do they get that freedom to express themselves cre- creativity? Like, like, or I mean, how do you be creative but still maintain that brand? So we have the brand and we have the core menu, and it's their leadership and their attention to detail that protects that. And then we have the specials and, um, you know, their own brand of leadership and everything that they bring to the organization that they are, are free to express themselves. So their relationship with farmers, their, um, their, their own influence because of where, where they've trained or where they were born. Uh, or what they're passionate about, that we we have a big enough sandbox for, for them to express themselves. And that's the magic of tender grain. So 
yes, it, it's uh, it's consistent and it's predictable, and you can get a great uh, steak and mashed potatoes uh, every time across the entire group. But on any given day, you might have one chef doing frog legs, another doing um, you know fresh pasta, uh, or or uh, or 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 a whole roasted uh, bronzino. Awesome. Um, so that element of surprise and and uh, and value uh, is key to beautiful. To, to the- I love it. Uh, and what is one book besides the E Myth? You got to give me another one uh, that is a must read uh, for anybody getting into this industry, uh, whether it's moving themselves or their business. Um. I would I would generally say any a book by an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, I read uh, "Search Inside Yourself." It was uh, I, I can't remember the author's name, but it's uh, um, the engineer at Google who is responsible for um, uh, mindfulness uh, training at Google, and he teaches a course both to. Uh, those who work at Google and those who are lucky enough to, to sign up for the class and get in. But it speaks to the value of uh, uh, emotional intelligence, intentionality, um, uh, thoughtfulness, and um, self-awareness in, in, in the workplace, whether you're at one of the world's great tech companies or, or a restaurant group, uh, it applies. And I think the measure of EQ um, is so important um, in business today. Uh, that author is Chade Meng Tan. Uh, exactly. Yes, uh, <laughs> and that is the first time mentioned on the show. And it looks like this book is on audio. Uh, so head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable if you want to get this book for free. And I don't know about you, Eric. Do you listen to audiobooks? I do. I, I live in Los Angeles where um, – you know, you, you spend a lot of time in your car, so it's it, it, it's a great way to, to spend uh, time on the 405. Yeah, it, it will change your life. Uh, like you said, it's never ending. The learning never stops. And with audiobooks, it really does make learning that much easier. So uh, do check it out if you are not taking advantage of that technology. And um, what is one uh, piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant or in your life that has uh, influence operations in a positive way? Uh, most recently, uh, we've been using Slack. Ooh. What that's uh, done is it's cut down on meetings. It's uh, improved collaboration. Uh, it's almost eliminated the need for email. Uh, and that way, uh, everybody can spend more time focused on growing the business, taking care of our people, taking care of the customer. Beautiful. And not meetings and i'm curious um you were talking about this amazing training uh program you have earlier uh are you using any technology to house that training uh yeah we uh we use people matter which is a a great system to track training and development and um succession planning so at any given time i can go on and see who's ready to go to move up to the next uh, position in the entire company. So, you know, 1,200 employees, I can quickly sift through and see who's, who's ready for the next awesome. promotion. 
Yeah, I've heard and, of People Matters, and it, it sounds amazing. Uh, and when it comes to really creating structure to that training to empower your people, uh, there's some really cool platforms out there starting to develop, and uh, People Matters is definitely one of them. Um, all right, Eric, if you could go back in time with all the knowledge you have now uh, and just maybe 2013, give yourself, your, your past self, one piece of business advice, what would that advice be? Stay focused and not, and don't get too caught up in the uh, the distractions. As an entrepreneur, we we love to build things, we love new things, and as you gain attention, as people start to take notice of your business, um, they're going to be pulling um, for your 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 attention, and that can be flattering uh, at a certain stage in in your development. Uh, but it pulls you away from uh, the key mission, which is taking care of your business, taking care of your people and taking care of um, your, your customers. Um, so I, I would, uh, well, I do advise a lot of young entrepreneurs to just stay focused and not get too caught up in and all the shining objects out there yeah. in the world. Something I could be better about personally. Uh, I get really excited really easily, and it's so easy to get distracted from uh, the, the things, the projects you're working on, but it's such great advice just to follow one course until success, which is an awesome F-O-C-U-S uh, acronym there, FOCUS acronym, follow one course until success. Uh, beautiful yeah. stuff. And uh, if there was one question I could have asked you that would have added more value to this interview, what would it have been? Um, you know, I think that, uh, well, I think this has been an incredible, uh, conversation. Um, something that a lot of, a lot of people, uh, I I think we actually touched on it, but what I uh, really wanted to say was that, uh, uh, it's important to know when to, to give up a certain uh, responsibility and let others take over. Um, As an entrepreneur, as a founder, as a leader, uh, we can hold on to things too long. And that uh, that blocks others from learning and developing and and growing. Uh, It also holds us back from Mm. our own development and growth and and really doing the job that we need to do next. So, the, I guess the question would be, uh, how how does one manage or navigate the different phases of of business, um, knowing that one's uh, job is going to constantly change? Um, I, th- I think that was you know fortunately I was I was lucky enough to have uh, mentors or around me and uh, people who could see around the corner. Uh, and, and it's really, really important. Maybe that's it. You know, how important is it for an entrepreneur to always have a mentor? How important okay. is it for an entrepreneur to always have a mentor, Eric? It, it's <laughs> paramount. It's, it's paramount because you're learning on the job and to have somebody next to you or, or several people with you who, can see around the corner and and tell you what you're going to need or what's coming up next is is so important. And without that, um, 
you're going to make too many mistakes along the way and, and your business may not be able to afford all those mistakes. Beautiful. I love it. Those are all of my questions for you today, Eric. You've been amazing. Uh, this has been such an awesome chat. We just have to wrap it up and we wrap it up by having you call somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and just think would be a great guest mentor like you were for us today. You know, I, I think, uh, I think uh, Mario Del Perro of uh, Mendocino Farms is a, is a guy that um, I admire in uh, in the business. He's uh, he's a great entrepreneur. He uh, is very thoughtful. Has built a great brand, great culture. Um, we are very like minded. Um, he just got a, a a nice investment from Whole Foods. Um, so I, I think he. Uh, he would he would have a lot of uh, um, he'd, he'd have a lot to share on this program. Beautiful, Mario Del Paro, look out! I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show and uh, let the folks at home know um, if we want to come join the Tender Green team. Like, how can we connect? What's the best way uh, to join your family? Uh, TenderGreens.com. Uh, Go to our website um, or reach out to me. I'm happy to uh, um, host anybody here in Los Angeles. Uh, Eric, E-R-I-K, at tendergreens.com. Eric Oberholzer, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as a guest mentor. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Wow, that was an awesome episode. Eric Oberholzer, uh, just an incredible person. Uh, The way you think, uh, the way you act, who you are, uh, just great. We need more people like you in the industry. And uh, I did something that I don't usually do. I actually uh, recorded the final thoughts of this interview about a week ago. Um, Just about to, uh, you know, publish this episode. Um, I went for a run. Uh, to like I usually do, and um, I got back from my run, and uh, you know, I was hot. I, I wanted to cool down before I went inside. It's a nice fifty degree day, uh, and I decided to meditate. I decided to, to, to give meditation a try, uh, because of today's discussion. Uh, so I just laid down on the the uh picnic table. I had my dog right up next to me. Uh, it was breezy, beautiful autumn morning. And I decided to just—I just decided just to start with why, uh, like like Eric suggests we do why. And I went all the way back to when I first decided to do this podcast, and I asked myself what was my why then. And I remember it was to bring people together, uh, amazing people together, to create a melting pot of mentors to learn to find out what it takes to be successful. Um, and this this the show has evolved so many ways since then um i've learned so much from so many amazing people the one of the biggest lessons that stands out the most to me is just the quality of people uh people who are on the show successful people are amazing they're they're just amazing people yes they have great restaurants they have great businesses they've created these amazing empires but it started it all stemmed from their mission uh their why why they got into the industry, who they want to be, how they want to impact the world around them. And I mean, 
to me, that's where this all starts for you. Who, like Eric said, start with your why. Get that clarity on who you want to become. What's important to you? What change do you want to make in the world? And from there, work backwards. Start with the end in mind. What do you want the future to look like? What do you, how do you want to change the world? Work backwards. Get that clarity. And uh, amazing things hopefully will happen for you. And for me, reflecting on my why now, my why has evolved a little bit. And what's important to me is to make this industry great. Uh, I feel like we got, for a period, we got so far away from what really matters. And it's the people. Uh, the culture, the the, the the things that food can do to people. I mean, we forget that food is a life. Uh, and this podcast isn't about the food, but it's a, about the people who get it and who are trying to make the world a better place through their restaurants. And what we're here to do at Restaurant Unstoppable is to teach you how to think, how to act, and how to be. And we do that by making examples of those who are doing it right, who get it, so you can start someplace better than if you were starting on your own. Um, or if you are out there and you're doing it, it's never too late to, to grow. You can listen to these people. You could be one of my guests and you can listen to other people and we can all afford to grow and just be a little bit better and to, to make a bigger difference, a, a more impactful difference and leave this world a better way than when we were brought into it. Uh, and that's, that's my why. Uh, I hope it stays that way because I don't want to make this confusing for you guys. But uh, just that one time of this clearing my head for 10 minutes to go back to get that clarity as to why I started, what the biggest thing to me was, which is becoming or becoming a great restaurateur beca- starts with becoming a great person. And we do that by learning how to think, uh, teaching you guys how to think, teaching you how to act the things to do, the way to treat others, and then eventually you'll learn how to be um, successful. Wow. That was off the cuff. That was straight from the heart. (laughs) And it feels good to get that clarity, so you guys need to do this too. Take 10 minutes to get clear with what's important to you. And you know what? It's going to change over time, especially if you're young, but get out there, get the experience, meet people, learn, find out what resonates with you. Uh, surround yourself with amazing people and you will evolve too. All right, that's all for today, guys. Like always, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Connect with me on Facebook, Facebook slash restaurantunstoppable and set up that one-on-one chat, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one. Love connecting and keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help validate or validate what I'm doing here. Until next time, peace out.